Welcome back. Another episode of Tate's Take. And in fact, the 24th episode of Tate's Take. And uh, of course, you know, that's where basketball lives. Appreciate everybody for checking in with us on today. Of course, we got a special guest for you on the day. Um, but before we get to that and get ready to introduce him, that'll be coming sometime within the next five to 10 minutes. Jay Billis, college basketball analyst for CBS Sports, as well as uh, for ESPN. Now that we know exactly um, which players are going to uh, declare for have declared officially for the NBA draft, as we know that the uh, withdrawal deadline was uh, is today. So I believe today, five o'clock P, of course, that being uh, Eastern Standard Time as well. Um, really excited to have him on to kind of talk about some players that are going to be coming back to school, uh, some players that um, are deciding not to return back to school and foregoing their eligibility for the collegiate level and obviously looking to uh, make some dreams come true of their own. So, you know, I'm really excited to hear Jay's perspective. And before he comes on, I'm going to give you guys a little bit uh, of my perspective as well as it regards to how I feel about, you know, some of the players, um, what it means for some of the um, programs that, you know, some of these players are coming back to and so forth. So uh, I just wanted to make sure that I go ahead and mention that and just a few other things that we are going to uh, be talking about is, you know, obviously the landscape of college basketball right now and, um, you know, the status of it and some of the concerns that we have. And I know I definitely have quite a few of my own. I'm sure that Jay has some of his own as well. Uh, and even outside of that, how much of the uh, current what we're seeing in the NBA right now in terms of their success how much of that is going to rely heavily on, you know, what the NFL, what college football, what uh, maybe uh, college basketball will look like if there will even be a season? Because I've always been that person that went on and said, you know what, the reality of it is this. If this whole thing with the NBA falls through and fails, then it doesn't seem realistic like the chances of any of the sports being played. Uh, especially the ones that are outside of basketball, being football, baseball, maybe some others. Uh, and, and I'm curious to know how it appeals to the eye of a lot of people if you don't have the fans. And I think that the NBA obviously did a significantly good job um, with putting players in a bubble, secluding them away from so many other people, putting you know virtual fans in the stance and kind of giving it as much of a – uh, home court feel or home court advantage or true uh, NBA, you know, in or in the arena feel as possible as when we're watching it on TV versus what we're seeing now. Because you know, right now it, it kind of seems, uh, or the one of the concerns rather that I thought that we were going to see was the NBA probably, um, you know looking at it like the NBA would um, have it seem like it was more of like a uh, AAU atmosphere or like a summer league atmosphere. And I think that they did a phenomenal job with it so far. So we're going to get into some of that, how the NBA 
um, landscape and how we've been seeing how successful they've been, how what kind of effect that'll have on other sports, even more so on top of that. What are some of the pros and the cons of the NBA bubble and kind of how this thing is working in their favor? And last but certainly not least, uh, the ruling by the NCAA. Um, the athletes' financial stability with the name of image and likeness, having that opportunity, how that affects the G League, amongst other things with players coming back uh, from uh, deciding how they're going to withdraw, if they're going to withdraw or not. I think they got till 5 o'clock. We're going to bring Billis on so we can ask him a couple of those questions. That's why we got the man on. Let's get ready to bring him on from uh, an analyst, college basketball analyst from ESPN, Jay Billis. Had the pleasure to meet you some years ago. I'm going to bring that photograph up here pretty soon, but I definitely want to let you know I really, really appreciate you for coming on here with me today to talk some good hoops. Yeah, my pleasure. Good to be with you, Deshaun. I appreciate it very much. Uh, first and foremost, I definitely want to get into quite a bit of college basketball with you, but first and foremost, some NBA stuff. How has this – what has been working for the NBA in terms of – Putting these guys in a bubble, it seems like it's been extremely successful so far. There hasn't been any positive tests from the players uh, in regards to the NBA. What exactly, what key ingredient or what kind of secret ingredient have they had on making this a successful thing? Well, it's basically the bubble itself to be able to quarantine the players and keep them away from community spread. So when you don't have any case, you can see what, what's going on with Major League Baseball, how difficult it is to, to have a season when you know, you've got uh, spread within a team and then they play another team and you've got, uh, you know, umpires and, and all that stuff. There are a lot of moving parts when you're going to travel uh, to that extent, which I think should should ring some alarm bells for college football and college basketball, given the amount of travel those sports have to undertake. Uh, but the NBA has been the most thoughtful uh, and they've put in place like when 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 the Bundesliga in Germany uh, was playing playing soccer, uh, you know, the NBA had all their protocols and shared information and was able to use those protocols in order to, to uh, fashion their own and did an extraordinary job. So look, it's still early. They've only played a few games, mm -hmm. but for them to be there for a period of weeks, I think the hard part is, you know, as we go further along, there are going to be a number of teams that are going to have to be with, in that bubble for, uh, months and you know we're gonna get to October and you're still gonna have uh, you know at least two teams maybe four or six that are still gonna be there uh, through the playoffs and that's a long time uh, mm. to be to be in that setting and so you know there may be other issues that pop up who knows for sure and you know what I'll say this I've just kind of always been under the impression that you know depending on how successful the NBA will be may potentially you know have an effect on uh, how the other organizations will kind of mimic what the NBA is trying to do. I can only imagine how hard it'll be for China, you know, put the football thing in a bubble or something crazy like that. And of course, I don't want to, you know, limit any of the ideas that they may potentially have. But do you think that the NBA's success, that that weight um, that it holds, you know, that 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 could possibly determine how successful some of the other leagues are going forward? Well, it let it, only if they do the same thing, and I, it doesn't look like the NFL is going to try to do that. They're they're going to have they got you know much bigger rosters, and and they're gonna they're gonna try to run their season the way they normally do. Now there may be different protocols than they would normally have. Uh, they're certainly not going to be able to have a you know all their um, their meetings together. 
So you're going to, you're going to have to keep your quarterback separate. You're not going to have a, a quarterback room where you're going to have all your quarterbacks together. Cause if one of them gets it, then they're all out of commission. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're going to have to change the way they do some things. Um, I, I do think you're going to see uh, in college a uh, attempts by different leagues and or schools to separate and isolate their teams from the rest of the student population. Um, that's just the only smart way to do it. That that otherwise, you know, you're trying to take this multi-billion-dollar business and you're you're making it, you know, you're flipping a coin and crossing your fingers as to whether you're going to have spread within a team. And the one problem that we've had, and, and this is a societal issue, but it's also with regard to uh, to our sports, is that we've not had the hard conversations about one, what risk are we willing to take here, and mm-hmm. and on whom are we placing that risk. And and two, um, what are the metrics we're going to use? And and when do we say enough? Like how many cases is too many? Mm-hmm. And and you know what what how are we going to determine that? What metrics as to uh, hey, if you test positive on Friday, you're not playing for two weeks, whatever it is. Um, uh, and and what are the metrics for pulling the plug? Are we just going to do it by feel? Um, I think that's what a lot of the what a lot of the players want to know, and and certainly what I would like to know. And then also these all these institutions have some of the best infectious disease experts uh, and virologists in in the world. And every commissioner said, "Well, we're talking with our scientists." And, well, what are they saying? Right. You know. Right. Would you mind sharing that with us? We'd like mm-hmm. to know. And mm-hmm. all of these institutions take federal funds. So I mm-hmm. think it's a public trust. So I'd like to know what they're saying. And and have they stepped forward? Like they talk about education all the time. Have they stepped forward to help educate the public? And the answer has been no. Let me say this, Jay. And I, obviously you're extremely, extremely intelligent. And one of the things that I respect the most is that, you know, you, you, you're not afraid to go out and say how you really feel about some of these matters. You put it out there on the forefront and you make it known and, and you're very direct. Uh, with, you know, the things that you're saying. And I think that some of the things that you're saying is very important. Like you said, it's going to be a matter of trust. And and uh, the fact that, you know, you have all of these uh, different scientists and different people. And I don't know really what's going on behind closed doors. None of us, in a sense, kind of really do. But uh, for the ones that do, you know, there's going to be questions uh, that need to be answered moving forward. And I also wanted to ask you about, you know, the opportunity that NCAA athletes have now at uh, having an opportunity to, you know, get a little bit of, of, of money for their image and for name, image and likeness. And obviously the NCAA just now passing that ruling not long ago. How does that exactly affect uh, the G League, which seems to be the new wave, I guess, for a lot of athletes who um, are looking to, you know, go to the NBA and play on the highest level, uh, but coming out of high school, maybe, uh, you know, deterring that option of going and playing college and instead going to make a little bit of money uh, from the G League, because I can't imagine that that would be the case for every single player. They're all not going to get the same amount. We saw Jalen Green, $500,000 here, other players, three hundred k. How exactly does that have an effect being uh, uh, the name, image, image and likeness? How exactly does that have an effect on the G League and what they do moving forward? Well, I don't think it's going to have any effect that, first of all, the NCAA has said they're open to the idea of name, image, and likeness as long as it fits within the collegiate model. And that really means that 
It's like saying uh, we want the players to have unlimited showers as long as nobody gets wet. <laughs> you know, they're not going to allow this. And that's why they're before Congress right now asking for an antitrust exemption so that Congress can give them cover uh, to limit it um, to, to basically next to nothing. And so really all this is going to do, um, you know, the G League will be an option going forward and it may be a good option for a number of players. And that I think that'll grow and it'll be become a bigger trend. That's not going to bother the NCAA at all. They want those players out. They're not interested in having one and done players anymore uh, because even though they've benefited to the tune of, of mil billions of dollars, frankly, uh, from the best players, uh, if they, they really believe that if they can get rid of the Zion Williamson's of the world and not have them in college at all, that takes away part of the argument for the players being compensated. Uh, I think they're wrong there. I think whoever it, it's like, it's like saying, well, Brad Stevens and, uh, Billy Donovan went to the NBA. Therefore we, we shouldn't have to pay the coaches as much. That's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. And, and, you know, people get paid based upon their, not only their value, but on revenue generation. And so the players generate a tremendous amount of revenue. They deserve to share in it and they deserve to take advantage of their name, image, and likeness rights. And so, you know, people who say, well, they're getting a scholarship and I'd love to trade places with it. Well, to whom else do you say such a thing? Mm -hmm. You know, I'd love to trade places with Tiger Woods and play golf all the time. <laughs> But that doesn't mean because I would trade places with him willingly, that doesn't mean he should make less money. Correct. And that and and we've got, you know, you've got countless non-athlete students that get scholarships. So they get full rides and stipends. Sure. Mm -hmm. Well, who's limiting their earnings and what they can accept from someone? Uh, they can do commercials and act in movies and write books and accept whatever they want from anyone. They can mm -hmm. get help from boosters, the school can hire them, or whatever they want. But somehow an athlete, uh, his or her rights should be limited. And while they're being sold for billions of dollars, I mean, that, that really, it, it, it's so wrong. I think it's wrong to the point of being immoral. And, uh, and I, I understand a little bit why fans are saying, oh, come on, we, you know, I'm not interested in listening to this because they just want their games. Yep. So anything that gets in the way of their games, they don't want. You know, remember we argued a few years ago over the stipend, you know, the stipend, yep. we're going to have to cancel sports. And oh, my God, the stipend, <laughs> you know, something that would have been unthinkable years ago and an egregious violation of NCAA rules. And every college president and athletic director was out there going, oh, this is going to ruin everything. And, you know, bankruptcies, looms and all this doomsday nonsense. And they <laughs> passed the stipend and everything's great. It's not a problem. And, uh, you know, the, the name, image and likeness is the same thing. And uh, the players are waking up to their value. Uh, you know, we'll see. The, the only leverage the players have is whether they play. So they're going to have to withhold services in order to get what they want. But uh, the NCAA has an opportunity to do the right thing. They're just not going to do it because they don't want to. Yeah, as much as it doesn't make sense, you put it that way, and it makes a ton of sense. Jay Bill is here with us, NCAA college basketball analyst for ESPN. Make sure you follow him on social media, on the Twitter at Jay Billis and on IG or the gram or Instagram, whatever the cool kids are calling it nowadays at real deal. Jay Billis, um, Jay, I, I, I got a, just a couple more questions for you. I don't want to hold you too long. 
One uh, before we get into uh, the withdraw, the names of some of the guys that withdraw from from the NBA draft this year. Jay Billis is infamous to me for um, having zero followers on Twitter. I'm sorry, following zero people on Twitter, having a ton of followers. I want to get kind of a, a little bit of understanding or overstanding as to why or how that even became about. And I know that you um, are also a huge, huge fan of um, of Young Jeezy and always putting something out from one of his verses that you kind of pull that out. Where did that whole idea even come from? Well, first on the zero followers thing, uh, when when I first started on Twitter, you know, my wife was the one that that encouraged me to get on it. I, I didn't think Twitter would be worth my time or anyone else's when uh, when I first got on it. And I didn't frankly understand how it worked. So when uh, when it was pointed out or when I found out that people were, you know, sort of uh, asking, well, why I didn't know, like, you know, following people, it was for news and, you know, to get all these different perspectives. So when uh, when people started coming at me with this idea of, you know, you, you too good to follow anybody, I thought that's kind of cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. And uh, and so I started kind of jerking everybody around on that and made a joke of it. But I have another account where I use oh. Twitter, you know, for, for that. Um, and I use it more like my Instagram account where I've got a bunch of bunch of people I follow. And, mm -hmm. and but I don't really get my news from from Twitter that much. Mm -hmm. um, because what's trending isn't necessarily what's best or most interesting. Uh, but I do. I have, I have an account where I follow a thousand different accounts and all that. So it's, it's fun. Um, the second part on on Jeezy was I, uh, uh, you know, I'm a big music fan. So I, I listen to a lot of different types of music. And I've, I've listened to hip hop since and rap since I was in high school. Uh, but that was a long time ago. Like I was in high school in the late 70s, early 80s. So the first sort of time I ever, you know, understood that, like rap music, this is awesome, was uh, the Sugar Hill Gang, you know, Rapper's mm -hmm. Delight and all that stuff. I knew every mm -hmm. word of that song. But um, when, I don't know how many years ago, it was actually through, we were at Michigan State with game day and Draymond Green was uh, was wearing some headphones while he was warming up. And, and I can't remember whether he was on set or came by the set because uh, it's been so long, but uh, we asked him what he was listening to on his headphones, and he says, Young Jeezy. And so Hubert Davis, who's now back with the University of North Carolina as an assistant, had said to me, do you, you know, do you listen to Jeezy on your, you know, back then it was probably iPod. Those were iPod days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and and is that on your your iPod? And I said, actually, it is. And, <laughs> uh, and so there were some people who didn't believe me on Twitter, and I went back and forth, and I had quoted some lyrics, I think. And and the got to go to work thing came from there and it just mm -hmm. somehow became a thing. And, uh, and I've kind of done it a lot since then. Before we get you off here, I might have to get Jay Billis to uh, recite one of those lyrics from from Young Jeezy. I want to remind the people uh, that you can always feel free to comment below, as you can see it down there on the ticker below with questions and opinions. If you have any, always want to uh, let the people know, the viewers and the followers that you can always follow along and, and, and throw out a couple of uh, different opinions there as well. Um, you, you spoke about being at Michigan state during that time. And obviously there's been a, some players that have decided to kind of come back to school and some players that decided to forego Michigan state specifically being uh, a, a program that has Aaron Henry coming back for his junior year, Xavier Tillman deciding to leave after, after his junior year, um, and the decisions that they have made, they have been particularly a program 
that has been extremely, extremely hot over the course of the last month or so, picking up uh, Imani Bates amongst other players that are top ranked in the country, something we typically don't really see very much from Michigan State. What do you think has really changed? Is it something that Tom Izzo, you think, has maybe been doing different within his recruiting? It kind of seems like they've been ramping up quite a bit and following along the same lines or footsteps as your, you know, other elite programs, Blue Bloods, Dukes, North Carolinas and Kentuckys and so forth. What do you think that that reason would be now? You know, I don't think it's it's like that much different. I mean, Michigan State's been recruiting the top players for a long time. And, you know, there have been years where they've gone down to the wire on one player or another, and maybe the maybe the player went to Kansas or Duke or North Carolina or something like that, mm-hmm. where they've been they finished second on a number of guys and have been right there a million times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they've had their share of 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 players that have come through that were were highly coveted and um, so Tom's always, Tom Izzo's always been a great recruiter, uh, and he's always had great, and, a, and really a blue blood program, uh, in his time there. Uh, you know, they're, I think Michigan state's among a handful and it's only a handful of programs that have experienced that kind of success over the last 20 some years. Correct. So it's really been only, only four or five that are in their league. Um, so I'm not surprised. It's just that, that. You know, I think with some of the some of the programs that we're talking about that have been traditional powers for uh, 40 years rather than sure. 20. Sure. Um, they're, you know, entrenched power in college sports is, is difficult to deal with. And really, I, I'd say in the last in the last 20 years, outside of the, the traditional big shots, um, it's really only been maybe Michigan State, Gonzaga, and depending on how you want to look at Villanova, because Villanova won a championship when I was in college in 1985. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a Big East program. Um, you know, that's if you include Villanova, that's three programs. And other, other than that, you're talking about, you know, Duke, North Carolina, you know, programs like that. I mean, UCLA hasn't, they, they, they haven't had the experience, the, the, the winning Michigan State has, or Indiana, mm-hmm. or you can name all these programs that sure. that haven't touched what, what Michigan State <laughs> has accomplished. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that, that sort of this latest hot streak that Tom is on in signing players is any more than, um, you know, they, they've, they've been right there with so many of these guys and established these great relationships, finished second, uh, that, that it, it speaks to, you know, the fact he's changed something. Like he's not changed anything that I know of. He's still the same guy, and uh, he's not let uh, – the way I view it, like Tom has not let success change, change his values or his core. Like he's the same guy, mm-hmm. um, and that's not, that's, that's not the norm. Usually, usually people change a great deal with power. They, their hunger uh, uh, changes. Uh, he hadn't changed really in any way, uh, except his suits are nicer. That's about it. And I, he's probably playing better golf clubs and all that. You know, he's got he's probably got PXGs and spending big money on golf. <laughs> There's quite a few people, Jay, that's up in um in that neck of the woods in Sparty Land. <clears throat> excuse me, that 
you know, they're, they're, they're skeptical as to whether they will or won't see, you know, a player like an Imani Bates who, you know, a lot of people are saying is going to be, you know, the next generational player after Zion and so forth as to whether he will be seen in a Michigan State uniform or not in the green and white or whether he'll decide to reclassify. And obviously all of that is still yet to be determined. Um, and keeping it even within the Big Ten, not only do I want to get your opinion on that, but even keeping it within the Big Ten, the names of the guys have decided to come back. Luca Garza, who, you know, has absolutely dominated the conference, especially this past year, and even extending some of his range on his jump shooting. Uh, Ayo Desumu and Kofi Coburn uh, decided to come back to Illinois. And there's a few other pieces here and there, you know, just in regards to the Big Ten. Uh, what teams or just players in general that you've seen that's kind of caught your eye uh, in regards to as we get ready to reach this deadline here within the next hour or so of guys that are deciding to come back to school and what does that do for some of these programs and where do you put them because you mentioned Gonzaga even uh, who got Ayayi coming back for next year as well uh, which is a huge huge piece for them in the way that they've been recruiting has been off the charts as well but um, even in regards to that you know They've probably got as much pressure to finish the deal next year just as much as anybody, especially if they get some of the big guys like Kispert and some of the others to return. Who has really uh, kind of stuck out to you in some of the decision making over the course of the last 24 to 48 hours? Well, I haven't I've been reading like you have who's coming back and all that, uh, you know, because there's so much time between now and the draft. Mm -hmm. um, I, I kind of count most players as gone when they put their name in the draft, even though I know a good many of them are going to come back. Um, and this year was a little bit different because there's so much uncertainty going forward. Like, do you come back sure. to college when you don't know if there's even going to be a college season? Uh, right now, the only, you know, the only one that's proven they can play, at least for a short period of time, is the NBA. Sure. And so if, if you're looking for an opportunity to play, um, you, know, you don't know whether the G League is going to go forward, but you do know that the NBA is going to play. And, and uh, uh, you know, you don't know, like, as much as I'm hopeful, I don't know that college basketball is going to be up and running in November. And I don't mm -hmm. know that they'll play even when they get to, uh, to January. So that mm -hmm. complicates everything. Um, but it, it, it's so difficult. Like, one of the things that I think is really odd about the way college basketball is viewed is sort of the value judgments that are placed upon the decision of a young player that somehow, you know, we, we, the college basketball literati tends to look down on one and done players. And I've never understood that, you know, they don't do that in any other, any other endeavor. You know, you kind of celebrate those that have the opportunity to go on and realize a dream. Yep. Uh, but with regard to college, college basketball, it's this horrible, horrible thing. Um, and somehow, you know, somehow we look down upon those players. Um, you know, the Big Ten seems like they were they had the most really good players, I think, that had declared. Um, and, you know, nobody had the opportunity to go through a combine. So they got everything that was done was basically done virtually. Uh, so they had much less information. And I don't know whether that's going to lead to more cautious decisions mm -hmm. or lead to more bad decisions or what. But Illinois benefited by having Coburn and, and Zuma back, and Iowa mm -hmm. was the biggest uh, beneficiary because Garza will be the number one candidate for National Player of the Year next year. Yep. Um, uh, and then I think Michigan State benefited by getting Aaron Henry back. Um, so we can, you know, you can debate whether it was the right decision for certain players to stay in, but as long as they had the information that they need 
and and they are comfortable with the fact that they're starting deciding to start their pro careers and and they can't come back mm-hmm. um i i'm good with it uh the 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 only problem i have is i i think it would be really smart of the ncaa to say if you get drafted and you don't like your draft position come on back yeah like well, you know go through the draft and if you're if yeah. you're not happy with your draft position we'd love to have you back like if we really believe in education, why would it's we a say win-win. to people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, why would you say to young people, "Well, well, you said you wanted to be a pro, so we don't want you anymore"? Um, that makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And if we really have their best interests at heart, why would we not want them back? Yeah, it doesn't mean the school has to take them back, but, but somebody might. Uh, somebody would want them, so let them come back. And uh, uh, but we don't we don't seem to want to do that, and it, it never makes any, that's never made any sense to me. That makes for a really good point, Jay, as we get ready to uh, conclude, which I'm grateful for you to be able to uh, come on here. And you were just talking about the one and dones. And uh, I can't I don't really have necessarily the answers behind why, you know, some of the highest ranked recruiting classes over the course of the last handful of years or so hasn't won national championships because the way we've seen it, they've all been having, you know, more experienced and veteran leadership, you know, between Villanova and Virginia. Uh, and a couple others, you know, that 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 have gone on and won these national championships without these elite, you know, one and done uh, type prospects and talents. I want to throw this one out there to you real quick, Jay. Now, this one here and you got to excuse the kind of crazy graphic here happened in 2012. You could probably see I had a lot more hair on my head at that time. That was my first opportunity. It was a college game day out at Michigan State. By the way, a good buddy of mine named Jack Ebling, who's also a mentor of mine, tells me to tell you hello. That was my first time having a credential independently um, at that time uh, in East Lansing. And I was just as happy as all get out. You were obviously a huge, huge part of that. I still talk to Hubert Davis to this day. He's a mentor of mine as well. So I want to say thank you for that opportunity. And thank you for this opportunity as well. I'm really, really happy that you had a chance to join us. No, it's my pleasure. And thanks for showing that picture. We both had hair back then. Those were the good old days. <laughs> thank you, Jay, so much. I really, really appreciate you. And thank you so much for coming on. Great being with you, Deshaun. Thank you. Thank you.